This is going to be our second to last class and uh, again, hard to believe what we've covered. It's already been a lot. Uh, this is a class on the nature of wisdom. As we've said many times, uh, wisdom is the ardor of a skill of living well. And so what God is offering us in this book of Proverbs, what he's encouraging us to do is understand you know, how to make the best uh, decision in every single circumstance of life. Again, knowing that there are, you know, dozens and countless decisions we have to make every single day in the short term, over the course of a life, many more, how do we make sure that we're making the best decisions that we can make in accordance with God's wisdom? Uh, as we were covering the last couple of weeks, we were looking at specific topics, you know, after doing kind of the big overview at the very beginning, and uh, we looked at God's wisdom about the nature of our speech. Uh, we saw how it's important, not only what we say, but how we say it as well. Uh, wisdom lives in that world. Last week, we were covering uh, what Proverbs says about the nature of work and, and our wealth, right? So how do we as Christians think about how we engage in our work with diligence and excellence as unto the Lord, um, but also what scripture says about the nature of our finances as well, that we have to be careful with how we think about our money, uh, spending it, using it not only in a way that will be good for the long term, but also make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord. And so what we're doing today is kind of a, a follow-up to something I briefly mentioned as a passing comment last week, which was thinking about how do we prioritize the relationships of our life? Um, maybe you remember this, but we were trying to think very briefly, I think it was even from someone's question, how do we think about what's most important in our priorities, in our scheduling, as we're building out uh, uh, the, the 168 hours we have in a given week, what do we make sure we are prioritizing? And a lot of that has to do with the foundational relationships that God gives us as revealed in scripture. And this is, I think, a really helpful conversation because as I talk with many people in the church, as I'm sure many of you have, there's always this big ongoing conversation, especially with younger individuals about knowing, you know, what God's will is for my life. You know, there's a big conversation around what should I be doing? Uh, you know, where should I go to school? What kind of job should I have? Who should I marry? Uh, where should I eventually live? All of these big picture questions. And then from there, it's the question of, well, once I, I kind of have that figured out, what does God want me to actually do with the rest of my time? You know, maybe some of you have gone to a church where it was more on the charismatic side. And so people believed in, well, I, I felt a certain way. And from that feeling, I made big picture decisions. Uh, maybe some of you have done something like, uh, you know, you, you roll a die or you look at like a magic eight ball and say, okay, well, tell me what I should do with my life. <laughs> Hopefully you never did that. Um, I do know actually of, of one Christian, uh, this was in a different country, where uh, to decide the, the day of his wedding, he actually went to a spirit medium and actually asking, okay, what is the, the luckiest or the most, you know, the, the best spiritual time to get married and actually made a decision about the wedding day based on that. Right? That was a, a Christian believer. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we tend to figure out, you know, what God's will is and, and what priorities we need. And that carries over even into today's world, right? With all the things that we experience in daily life, we're always strapped for time and have to pick and choose what's going to be most important for us. Um, again, in scripture, we see, though, that there are priorities for what we should be doing. And a lot of those priorities, first and foremost, have to do with the most critical relationships that we have as Christians. Uh, there are certain categories that we alluded to last week, which we're going to talk about today, which God says this needs to be our focus and our priority before we get to everything else that we go through. 
And so that's what we're doing today is looking at some of these foundational relationships. If you're a Christian in this room, these are the aspects of your life that you need to make sure you have as a priority, that you're doing well as unto the Lord, you're carrying it out with excellence and diligence and obedience to God's will first before you think about everything else in your life. And so that's what we're going to be covering here today. The first one we've already alluded to in our first session, so we're going to go over this very quickly, uh, is our relationship with God, right? First and foremost, where does Proverbs start? If you were here with us in the very first class, we went over Proverbs 1 verse 7, which says this, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then very famously, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And so as we talked about before, the first nine chapters of Proverbs is setting up the opening, right? It's really the heart posture we need to have if we want to be people who will be able to receive God's wisdom. And then chapters 10 to 31, all of those fortune cookie quick sayings are all of the wisdom proper, but it starts with the right heart and the right beginning. And the beginning is our relationship with God. All right, so as all of us should know very well, as we've already talked about in this class, the most foundational question is, how is your relationship with the Lord? Is he truly your everything? Do you love him with all of your heart? Are you living first and foremost for his glory alone? Right? Is that your captivating question that, uh, that you dwell on throughout the day? How is your relationship with God? And do you properly fear, love, and trust in him? And so that's a very, very simple thought, um, but it is foundational because if we're already missing that simple question, if we're failing that test, then everything else that we're going to do for the rest of our day, week, month, and year is already going in the wrong direction. And so the first and foremost question is, how is that relationship with God? And are we prioritizing, are we reorienting our life around him and our relationship with him? We covered that briefly in the first class, so we won't go over it again. But um, again, that, there's a reflection question for us. Is God truly your everything? And like we've asked in all the other classes, we don't only want to hear our answer. We want to hear the answer of those around us, which is why we have the second part. What the people around you say that he is or isn't, right? Knowing that we can easily deceive ourselves just because we love hearing positive uh, you know, thoughts about ourselves the people that know our lives and see us for what we are, would they truly be able to say from how you're living, God is or is not your everything. So we're not going to spend too much time there. I do want to go to the, the second one, though, uh, which is our relationship with our spouse. So as we're thinking about the most important relationships, the, the most important priorities we have as Christians, of course, we need to start with our relationship with God. But then the second one, if we're married, is with our spouse. And Proverbs says a lot about this relationship in particular. Um, as always, I love people to read some of these passages, so we'll see if we can get a couple of volunteers. Let's see, we're, we're going to try this. The goal is to have everyone just read one passage. So uh, if you want to get it over with, you can volunteer now. If not, this might get really awkward as time goes on. But uh, can someone read Proverbs 12.4? Okay, <laughs> nice. I, instantly, I saw some hands. Okay. Um, now, this, it won't be all of Proverbs 31. It'll be one segment. You know, would you be willing to, to read? Okay. And then someone find uh, 11.22. Okay. 
and then five, one to four. Right. And then since you're there, if you can also just read 18 to 19 as well. Okay. So first we have Proverbs 12, verse four. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Yeah, so there are many Proverbs like this one. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And so just to give some context, you know, a lot of Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father to a son, which is why you're going to hear a lot of references to um, the wife. This is not saying that husbands should not also be wonderful, excellent people, but because a lot of it's written from the perspective of a father to a son, that's why you're hearing a lot of references like this. So an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. What this means is that when you have a godly spouse, um, a wife or a husband that's genuinely loving the Lord, living out the traits of Christ-likeness, having the right types of priorities and living out their duties in the household and the church and in their workplace, it is like a crown over a person's head. It's a sense of beauty and honor that we've talked about before. That when you have a spouse who is truly living out God's um, qualities that we're called to live out, life is beautiful, life is good. Right? That's why we're saying this class is about the good life, because that is what God is offering us here. And so when we're able to marry well, when we can find someone or help our spouse become the kind of individual that's genuinely pursuing the Lord in all the ways that we're called to do, it is truly a noble and beautiful life. But then notice that second half, she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Right? And so if you have a spouse that's not genuinely pursuing the Lord, is uh, living for his self or herself, is not living in the fear of God, it's going to bring rot and disaster and harm to life. And so a big challenge of Proverbs is that the person you marry is so critical. Right? Again, for the, the perspective of a father to a son is trying to warn, saying, think very carefully about the type of individual that you want to pursue because character does matter. Um, the person that you marry will drastically alter the course of your life for better or worse. And that doesn't mean that, let's say, uh, you did marry years ago, and, and maybe at the time it wasn't exactly the wisest of unions. It doesn't mean that God cannot redeem that, because he does. Even as we heard this morning, that's the power of his word. Um, that's the power of God and the Holy Spirit working in us. But we have to be careful to think about this. And so this is both a challenge if you're not married to be thinking about the kind of individual that you do want to marry, but this is also the question of are you aiming to be this type of person, right? Where if you are a wife, you know, through your life and your priorities in the home and in the church and around in your community, that your wife, that, that your husband can say, you know, it really is like I have a crown on my head because of you. And I would say that the vice versa is exactly true as well. As the husband, are you pursuing the type of Christ uh, first life that brings a sense of honor and beauty to your household that then blesses your wife and your family? Um, as I said, a lot of what makes this type of noble marriage uh, has to do with a person's character, right? And that's exactly what we see in Proverbs 31. Um, so whoever had that... <clears throat> We're not going to read all of it, but if you can just go ahead and read uh, verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Hmm. Right, that's one of the summaries you see at this very well-known chapter. 
Uh, I know a lot of uh, women that I've known over the years that read this and think, why did God have to make such a high you know, bar for us to, to meet as, as uh, women or as wives? And I think one of the answers is, well, that's because the other 30 chapters are written to a man. So, you know, do you want one chapter? Or do you want 30? It's, it's, it's up to you. As I said before, there's something for all of us to glean from in every single one of these. Uh, but the emphasis as you read about a noble wife, a God-honoring wife, reflects some of these characteristics. One who is trustworthy who's steadfast in her love, industrious, compassionate, righteous, wise in her words, cares for her family, and fears the Lord. Right? You can read all of the rest of this chapter, and it's emphasizing those qualities as you read all of those different statements. And it's, again, showing that the person who is a beautiful uh, wife or a beautiful spouse, again, the, the focus isn't on the external, it's actually on the internal. Uh, you hear this again even in the, the next proverb, 11, verse 22. You can read that if you have it. As a ring of gold in the swine's mouth, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Right? That is a powerful and scary image. Now, again, it, it's not meant to focus on degrading a woman. You can say a very similar thought about a man. But it's, uh, think about the imagery there. You have a pig that has a beautiful gold ring in the pig's nose is like a beautiful woman without discretion. And so again, the, the focus is that what's internal matters before the Lord. That's where true beauty is. And so even if you have a person who's maybe uh, attractive in whatever measurement you want to use on the outside, but doesn't have the character which honors the Lord, um, that too is a disastrous thing. And so we think about, when we think about marriage, right? We wanna think about both for ourselves and for our spouse, are we becoming the type of person who is truly beautiful in God's sight? Are we pursuing the character, the Christ-likeness, the love, the fear of him, which we see all throughout Proverbs, and is that what our spouse is pursuing as well? Right? If you're not married, it means are you having that as your main focus, first and foremost, not external factors, but then especially if you are married, all of these traits are still true that it is important the kind of person that we are in our character first and foremost. Not how much we make, not how many vacations we go on, but who we are as believers. And so this is a warning against uh, superficiality. Uh, th there's one more kind of general section that you see in Proverbs, a lot more, but uh, for summary purpose. And this is one of the dangers that we have to be careful of as well. So uh, I think it was Pat, if you can go ahead and read Proverbs 5. Son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Yeah, right. So this is a, a very famous passage of Proverbs, which potentially a lot of us are familiar with. Uh, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 is kind of an extended portion, which warns us here. Uh, we have other passages like that similar throughout the rest of the book as well. Um, but as we're thinking about marriage, one of the great dangers that God is trying to warn us against is the danger of sexual immorality. And again, how easy it is for it to be attractive, because it is attractive, right? Even just reading in this passage, notice how it tries to describe something that's so appealing. It says, this forbidden woman drips honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. 
right? This picture of things that are alluring and desirable and attractive and good, but in the end, it will destroy you. This is a paraphrase because I wasn't able to find the full quote after I wrote it down, but uh, Ray Ortland, a pastor who I've mentioned before, describes this about infidelity. Uh, paraphrase, it's roughly this, that to pursue infidelity is to pursue fake intimacy, forsaking your honor, throwing away your best years, throwing away your possessions, courting physical danger and social disgrace, and to pursue death. And so this is what God has to say about immorality, right? That on the surface, it can seem so appealing for whatever reason, right? When you're starting off playing with fire, it may be fun, it may be exciting, it may be thrilling, whatever it may be, but in the end, it will destroy us. And so God is trying to say through all these various proverbs that you need to make sure that you're careful to prioritize and think about your marriage, not only in understanding the type of character that you need to have, and that you need to be, and that you want to pursue if you have or are looking for a spouse, but then especially once you actually are married to guard that marriage very carefully, right? Because it's so easy to slip off in all types of uh, danger here. I'm just going to go ahead and read this, but uh, in the last two verses uh, in that section, Proverbs uh, 5, 18 and 19, it says this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. And so the thing that I want to end off here with is that God's uh, warning, his exhortation for us about marriage is not all on the negative side. It's not that he's saying, hey, here are all these horrible things. Don't do that. Don't have fun. Don't do this. He's saying, enjoy what God has actually given you. And so the antidote that you see in Proverbs to the danger in marriage is to actually pursue a marital intimacy, a true genuine love and joy in your marriage. And so I don't know where all of us are this morning here. I don't know the state of all of our marriages if you are married, but it's so important to be thinking about this. Are the priorities of our life geared towards what makes a God-honoring marriage? Are you seeking to have the character that would be described as putting a crown on your spouse's head? You know, if, if you know your spouse, are you seeking to encourage them in the Lord? Right? Going to Ephesians 5, especially for the husbands, are you seeking to point your wife towards Christ and wash her in the word just as Christ does the church? And then finally, looking from Proverbs 5, you know, one, do you understand the danger that we can fall into in terms of immorality? But then also, do you see the beauty that God is trying to paint for us uh, about the, the, the picture that we have of real marriage, of enjoying what it is that he has given us here? And so that's uh, what we have there. So just for the reflection questions, uh, number one, how are you growing to be a more Christ-honoring spouse, right, if you're married? And then, how are you aiming to pursue love and intimacy with your spouse? Uh, I think this is something which we can often forget, just in the business of life. I mentioned that January went by just like that, right? All of us had all types of activities and things that we were doing. Did we take advantage of this one-twelfth of, of a year that's already over, right? Were we using it to pursue um, these types of priorities that God has given us? Um, or did we just let it slip away because of the business of life? Uh, and also, too, with this, as I said before, all of this is relevant even if we're not married, because this is describing the kind of person that we should pursue and that we should want to be. 
right? So, you know, if you're uh, single in this room, you can begin working on the traits of Christ-likeness even now. And if you're either dating someone or wanting to date someone or thinking about dating someone, these, again, are, are God's warnings for us here. Focus on what truly matters and not what doesn't matter. So I know I, know I said a lot. Uh, any questions or biblical wisdom that you guys have on this topic? Well, one of the things I see in, in chapter 5 is it doesn't say much about her beauty, a woman's beauty in that first part of chapter 5. I know it says it in other parts, but this is talking about her words and her lips. And oftentimes, uh, this is for young people and for us married guys and for the women here who are married, is um, it's funny how the, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. That's, you know, the word of God is that. And yet here it's saying that her words are, it says, sharp as a double-edged sword. Mm. So, you know, for some men, if in marriage, communication between a husband and wife is key. So a woman wants to make sure that she's communicating with her husband and the husband communicating with her in a, in a way where this woman ain't going to come up and say sweet nothings to the husband and get his attention. Yeah, I think that's and, a helpful comment. Like, yeah. It's like, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Bible teacher, so it's hard for me to put these things into words. I just understand right. what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah it, that, that's a good thought. Of the woman who comes up and starts saying sweet, sweet things. Uh, what do they say? Music to the ear? Yes. Yeah. And so, so on that comment, I would say, you know, this wouldn't be primarily focusing on her words because it is a description of danger. But I do agree that in general, you know, communication of words is very much one of the ways that people are tempted. So I think that is something to keep in mind, too, is, uh, you know, one of the ways you can think about this is the, the conversations you're having with uh, another person. Is it leaning towards flirtation or something that can be dangerous? That can be a form of temptation, definitely. Um, I don't know if this would be only focused on the words, but that would be one part of it, definitely. So, okay. Uh, other thoughts, questions that you guys have? Jerry? I was just thinking that, you know, like single folks, the Bible doesn't tell you specifically what person, what individual that you need to choose to be married to. But it tells you that there are certain requirements that they must have. They must know the Lord. If you're a believer, you have to marry a believer. And they must be people of character. And I think uh, that's so much better than some of the teaching that I used to hear in the past where, you know, it's God's will that you marry a certain people, person. And, you know, you don't want to make a mistake you know, mm. with, with the wrong person. Well, the, the issue is... Know, that, does that person know Christ, love Christ? If it's a man, uh, a girl needs to ask, can I, can I function under his authority and will he assist me in my growth, my spiritual development? Uh, you know, because you, as a leader, you can't take your family any further than where you're at. Mm. And so you need to find those kind of things out. The character matters. But it, it just, I thought that's an important comment. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, it's not that there's only one potential soulmate out there and your whole job is to scour the earth looking for him or her, which I honestly, I think I had as my mentality at some point. You know, God gives us that freedom and liberty and wisdom to say, okay, these are the characteristics that makes a godly individual, a godly spouse, 
Am I finding that individual? Or at the very least, is this a person who has shown a level of growth and continuing to grow? And that should be our priority. Yeah, that's very The true. other way, if you think you know, God's will on a certain person, in the context of your marriage, you might say, you know what? Maybe I made the mistake here. Mm -hmm. I didn't pick the right person. Yeah. That's the key. Mm -hmm. um, and I also tell people, if you really want to attract a godly person to marry, you need to be a godly person. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, we should never walk around thinking, oh, did I somehow get the wrong individual? No, it's once you're married, that was God's will. You know, you're, you're now married. Now the question is, are you going to become the kind of person, if you're not already, that, you know, we're called to be? So that's very true. And thank you for bringing that up because that is such the culture. You know, I mean, you see that everywhere of like, oh, it was, I made a mistake. It's the wrong guy. So I'm, you know, going to scratch this and move on. And in the life of a believer, that just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. Yeah, when I was uh, much younger and very picky, I remember, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, I had this giant list that I actually wrote out at some point. This is what I'm looking for. And I forgot who I shared it with. They said, uh, Alex, it sounds like you want to marry yourself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're right. Uh, so you realize that many of the things that we tend to look for are not that important, right? They're very trivial, superficial, but is it an individual that genuinely loves the Lord? Uh, that's true. All right, I, I totally distracted us. So let, let's go ahead and move on. I think we get the idea. It's important to think about the nature of our marriage, if we're married or if, if not. Uh, I think after our relationship with God, our relationship our, with our spouse, we of course have our relationship to our children. Uh, this is relevant for us if we already have kids, but if you're either single and or married but don't have kids, it's still relevant because it's uh, essential to think about that we need to be parents who are raising our kids in the fear of the Lord. Right? So let's read some more verses. Again, we'll get people who haven't read, so uh, 26 or 22 verse 6. Okay. Uh, so we'll do John and Jen, so maybe Jen if you can read 22, and then John if you can do 13, 24. Okay, and then someone do... Uh, three, one, and two. Okay, Nate. And then it's it's close enough so you can read chapter two as well. And then let's have someone do four twenty-three. Okay, Dan. And then someone do twenty-eight fourteen. Twenty-eight fourteen. Okay, perfect. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and read twenty-two verse six. Yeah, so this is a classic verse, right? We, we reference this in our first class as well. Um, what is it that a parent is called to do in their parenting? Is to train up their kids, raise up their kids in the way that he or she should go. And that's the idea of the path of God, the path of life, as seen in the book of Proverbs, as seen in the rest of Scripture. Uh, the most important question for um, raising kids is not, you know, how well they did at sports, is not what school they got into, how much money they make in the future. The question is, how did we point them towards Christ-likeness? Show them the way of God. Help them to understand what is right and what's wrong. Was that truly our priority, even in a way that they would be able to then speak back and say as well? Are we trying to help our kids understand the path of God? Because what we're seeing as this principle is that a child who then knows the way of God, even when they are old, will not depart from it. This even ties back a little bit to Pastor Rich's sermon, the idea of our assurance of salvation, that if a person is genuinely saved, if they're following God, they will continue on in their salvation uh, for the rest of their life. And so the, the wonderful thing we're hearing in this principle is that when you are able to focus 
uh, have, on having Christ's likeness be the focus of your parenting, not on the other superficial things that we tend to focus on. It has a beautiful, long-lasting impact. As we said at the first class, these are principles and not promises. And so there's going to be times and cases where you did everything you possibly could to teach your children, to raise them in the fear of the Lord. You not only told them the right things, you truly lived it out in your actual life. You did everything right. You prayed for them every single day and they still turned away. Right? That is the reality that happens as well. That we can't look at this and say, man, because my son or daughter is not a Christian, I failed in my parenting. Right? Obviously, you can look back and recognize ways that you could have done it better. You said, yeah, I, I think in this area, you know, maybe I made some mistakes or in this area I did, but we should never be crippled by verses like this. It is something to aim for. These are principles to be pursued. But for whatever reason, if you know you were genuinely doing what you could, we still trust in God's goodness and sovereignty even there. Um, the other passage we have here, Proverbs 13, 24. Yeah, so this is a passage which is telling us about the importance of correction and discipline. Um, the willingness to actually bring a discipline to our kids to show them what is right from what is wrong. And so if you think about the act of whether it is spanking or the various types of, of discipline and punishment that we bring to our kids, we understand that the goal is to actually build them up. And I think we understand this well. In the culture, there is a big stigma towards wanting to bring punishment or corporal discipline to kids today. Uh, you've probably heard it in various ways. Oh, I, I would never hate my kids that much to do that to them. But what does God say here? If you are sparing the rod, right? if, you're, if you're refusing to discipline your kids as you should, it actually means that you hate your kid. Because genuine love is not wanting them to only feel good in the moment and make them be the kind of kid that says, oh, my mom or dad was the coolest. You know, we went to Chuck E. Cheese every weekend. <laughs> but it's to show genuine love where they see that your focus was that they knew God. That you were trying to point them every single day towards this is what's right, this is what's wrong in a way that's filled with both grace and truth. Right? That needs to be the focus and the priority. I think about uh, in Ephesians 6, 4, right? We're there, you know, the warning from Paul is to not provoke your children, right? And what I think that means is there's a way of wanting to point them in the direction of the Lord, but in a way that's too harsh or too exasperating and, and too overbearing. And so we have to be careful that in our desire to raise them up in the fear of God, pointing them to the truth, that you're not taking it too overboard, where it's going to actually harden their heart and callous them over time. But it's important that we are intentional to follow this. Say, God, or, uh, you know, child, this is the way of life. This is what God has for us. This will lead to long-term good. And that needs to be the focus of our life, our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse, and the relationship with our kids. On the, the second hand, you see that in that second portion, Proverbs says a lot about the nature of a child uh, to their parent as well. So if we can read those two verses, uh, three and then two. My son, do not forget my teaching, so that your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, my son, if you will, receive my words, yeah, and then I guess you can reach uh, verse 2 as well. Make your ear attentive 
Yeah. So we've said this multiple times, but Proverbs is written primarily from the perspective of a father to a son. Right? This, these are the warnings and exhortations. And so the challenge we've mentioned before is that as a parent, you can give all the truth in the world, but it takes two to tango. Right? It requires that the son or the daughter is actually willing to listen, to have a heart that is humble enough to actually receive the exhortations that they're getting and to actually respond to it. And so, of course, this is the challenge uh, if, you know, you are younger to say, okay, am I truly willing to listen to the teaching and exhortations of my parents? As we talked about before, this extends beyond parenting to the relationships we have in the church community, which we'll get to in a little bit. But of course, if you are a child, the willingness to actually receive it. Because saying the truth, teaching the truth, and modeling the truth is one half of the equation of what we're called to do. But again, it requires the person listening to be willing to actually heed uh, what's being said there. One last uh, principle on this subject is the importance of the heart. So we have two more verses. Let's go ahead and read them back to back. Uh, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we have uh, chapter 28. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into yeah, so th this is a whole other section that I don't think we'll have time for in this class, but Proverbs says a lot about the nature of the heart. Right? If you've been in some of the other classes we've done on sanctification, you've heard this theme a lot before. Uh, but the idea of the heart is the internal or the real you. In other words, we can be the type of person where you're doing a lot of the right things, you intellectually know a lot of the right facts, but then internally what you desire, what you believe, what you want is a completely different thing. And so what we're seeing here in Proverbs is that where you see true life change take place, what we need to actually focus on is the reality of what's going on internally in our hearts, who we really are before the Lord that maybe people will never actually see. And so this is applicable not only to parenting, but for every single one of us, that the reality of sanctification, again, is not just doing the right things. It's not just knowing the right facts, but it's actually being the right kind of person. And being the right kind of person does involve what you believe, right? That's why our theology is important. The truths that we affirm about God, about ourselves, about the world matter. What we love, what we desire matters because that shows what we're genuinely worshiping. And how we live often becomes a reflection of our hearts. But the challenge in Proverbs is we have to make sure that truly we are trying to honor the Lord from our hearts. And so in relation to parenting, you want to think about how you're doing that right now. You know, are you instructing your kids? Or if you're looking forward to being a parent, are you wanting to instruct your kids not only with knowing the right truths, doing the right things that you as a parent can see, or are you also concerned with the state of their heart as well? Asking the kind of questions as you build a relationship to genuinely know, hey, does my son or my daughter truly love the Lord? Or, or are they just doing all these things because they're in a, a Christian household? Because they're going to a good church where a lot of their friends are Christian. You know, you know, a lot of us probably hear those statistics of people who grew up in a church, they eventually go off to college and then totally fall away. And oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, look at the horrible secular world that's out there, right? And that is true to a degree. We're living in a war. But also what's true is that oftentimes in Christian households, you know, you could be told all the right things. You can have a child that's doing all the right external things, but if their heart was never really changed, 
Going to a secular college is only exposing what was going on internally. And so part of where you have to be careful in parenting is to not only address your kids' actions, what they say, what you see them do, but asking the questions about the state of their heart. Right? First and foremost, this has to be a work of the Lord, the Holy Spirit working through his word, but then also in our parenting, that's how we need to be thinking about training them as well. And so just a couple of questions to be thinking about here. Um, you know, how are you spiritually shepherding your children? Is it merely external behavior or heart-focused teaching? Right? As you're prioritizing and scheduling your life, are you making sure that you're allotting time, because all of life is choosing where we allot our time, are you allotting time to make sure that you're not only bringing your kids to church, but you are doing the work yourself of shepherding them and training them in the way of the Lord. You'll notice that this slide here has child or children as number three. Um, does anyone remember what number two was? Spouse. Yeah, it's your spouse. And that's intentional uh, because I think, you know, what, what you see in scripture is that you are one flesh with your spouse, but you are not one flesh with your children, right? Um, I remember years ago, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend this, but my dad one point said something like this. He said, you know, son, uh, if, you know, we're ever in some kind of boat and like everyone was drowning and I only had one life raft, I would throw it at your mom, not you. <laughs> and he said it in a much nicer way. And as a young kid, I thought, wow, thanks, dad. Yeah. <laughs> really makes me feel great about myself. But what he was trying to get at in that statement is to say, hey, obviously I love you and I would do whatever I can to take care of you and give my life up for you if I could. But what is most important right, in this family is that I'm caring for your mom first. Because right? that is God's design. I have the one flesh union with her. Yes, we need to do what we can to parent and train you well, but that is even secondary to the marriage. And I think oftentimes we've heard or seen this in church, you know, people that spend 8, 20, 18, 20 years, you know, trying to raise up their kids. And that's the focus for all that time. And then eventually the kids go off to college or they're working and suddenly the, the home is the empty nest. And you look at your spouse like a stranger, right? Because you spent all that time focusing on the kids and not enough on really building up, not just maintaining, but strengthening the marriage. And that's what needs to be our priority. And so as you're thinking about your priorities and how you're trying to raise your family well, yes, focus on training your kids properly, but make sure you have the order correct as well. You're focusing on your marriage before even your own kids. So there's some thoughts there. Uh, any questions or, or wisdom you guys have to share? like okay well do we just continue to spank or do we and he was like well you can but if you're not changing their behavior then you're not really getting at their heart and so that was just helpful it seems so basic but mm. i feel like as parents sometimes you can just like you're grounded again you're doing this again or whatever and it's just not nothing's working and it's not changing so it takes a lot of time it took us two years for one of the hard things that we went through but we figured it out and then um and now it's like very smooth mm. and so it's just been that was a 
most helpful thing is like if it's not working, it's because you're not doing it right. It's not them not obeying. It's you're not really getting at their heart of what's going on. Mm, yeah, yeah, and sometimes it takes different approaches. Yeah. You know, this is a whole other class, but God often uses a variety of means to help a person understand, you know, their need for change. Um, I think for me. Uh, one of the ways was when I used to go down to Mexico, there was an orphanage that we would help out with once a month. And, uh, you know, I, I was a terrible child in many ways. I won't go into all the details, but um, yes, yes, that was my nickname at one point. Um, but there was something about going down to that orphanage, seeing kids uh, in true poverty, not having um, parents that uh, really did change me in a lot of ways, right? And so that doesn't mean that the answer then is, hey, how do you change your child, bring them to Mexico, and then everything will be better, <laughs> right? It's, it's the reality that because all of our temperaments are different, we always point to the word, but how you get them there can take a number of different means. Yeah. I have to say this. Our oldest boy was strong-willed like that, too, and we discovered what was important to him was the best tool for discipline. And we literally wouldn't let him go to church on Wednesday nights because that's what he, we were homeschooled and that's where his friends were and that's where his, you know, peer group and stuff was. And everybody gave us trouble for that. You don't do that, but it worked. Hmm. You know, that was where his desire was and that's where his friendships were. And that was the discipline that worked for us. Yeah, okay. To find what is important to that child. That that child was very strong-willed and very brilliant. He was with the Lord, by the way. Um, four years old, I'm driving. I got a four-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old in the backseat who are doing what they do. I, I don't know if you've ever done that. Both boys. You can't get a leg. <laughs> I'm, I'm mad at them and I'm frustrated. I don't know what I said, but I, was a, I just was silent. And my four-year-old said, Dad, you're a liar. It literally broke my heart. I was crushed because he was man to man. It was it was. I said, I said, why do you say that? And he said, well, you always say you're going to do stuff, and then you don't do it. And uh, I said, because I told him I was going to. I probably told him I was going to pull over and make him walk home. I don't know whatever it was. <laughs> but the idea was, at four years old, he got that, and I said, well, would you rather if? I said it, I did it, or rather I didn't say it. He said, well, if you say something, you should do it. Mm -hmm. So at four years old, they're watching us. Yeah. Yeah. So, the best proverb I know that I, that I tell myself often is, a wise man receives a rebuke or listens to a rebuke himself mm. from a four-year-old child. Yeah. I'm telling that story 40 years later, 40-something years later, because it just it changed the dynamic Mm, yeah, that, that's helpful. It's, um, yeah, we will all go through a number of situations in life where you think or we think we're in the right and you realize that we're in the wrong. But as we've heard many times in Proverbs, we have to be willing to be humble and listen to rebuke as well. If it comes from a four-year-old, if it comes from a 40-year-old, if we're being told something that's true, we have to be willing to listen to it. That's good. Um, yeah, so we'll move on for time's sake, but like I've said before, th this is just a sampling. Go through the rest of Proverbs. There, there's so much else that you can glean. Um, these are just some things to think about. The, the last priority, and we're going to finish up with this, is the importance of true Christian community. All right, so you're not going to see the word church in Proverbs because the church wasn't invented yet. 
you know, that comes later on in the New Testament. But you do see a lot about the importance of the relationships we have in our life. And so, of course, being in, new, in the New Testament era, that means our relationship with other Christians, especially those that are part of the same local church. Uh, it's important to think about the types of relationships that we have, and there's going to be three general categories. Uh, for time's sake, we'll just do one from each of these. So someone find Proverbs 18. Okay. They may, uh, Proverbs 20, verse 6. I saw another hand somewhere here. Okay. And then Proverbs 13, verse 20. Okay. And then I'll read some of those other ones. So first, we have the necessity of counsel from Proverbs 18.1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Yeah, so this is even going somewhat to what Emerson is saying. If you're not willing to listen to counsel, if you're only wanting to hear your own voice, that will hurt your life. You're breaking out against sound judgment, and that's important, especially in the context of our Christian relationships. A, a very well-known one is Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then verse 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And so how is it that God designed his people to grow and live the life that uh, pleases him? Is in true Christian community is where we have believers that are regularly pointing out uh, the hard truths that we need to hear, right? Maybe it's a peer, maybe it's your child, whatever it may be. We need people that are speaking the hard truths um, that we need to hear, and then we have to be willing to listen to it as well, right? That's also the, the other equation that we often forget. You can hear all the truth in the world, but if you're not willing, if you're not humble enough to receive it, all that truth is not going to change anything. And so God is warning us in this book that we need to make sure we are hearing proper exhortation, right? This is why we need the church community first and foremost as New Testament believers. Uh, but we also see that the type of true uh, fellowship is actually quite rare and valuable. So let's read Proverbs 20. Many man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can yeah, and then 1824, a man of many companions may come to a ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. These two Proverbs, as well as several others, are trying to say that having a true friend is actually a very rare thing. Uh, not only, you know, the, the type of friendship that are just around, you know, trivial things, which are totally fine, right, if you're having fun with people, but genuine friendship, uh, which is pointed in the way that God has designed this to, to look, is not easy to find. Oftentimes, even in church circles, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, you know, we had, we enjoyed tons of fellowship, right? We're really uh, enjoying one another's fellowship. And you say, well, what were you doing? Oh, we were, um, you know, we're watching a movie. I'm not saying that watching a movie is bad, but that's not true fellowship as, as the scriptures define it, right? What really uh, marks true fellowship is that we're pointing one another towards Christ, we're leading one another towards scripture, both in encouragement as well as exhortation. And so we have to be thinking about the types of friendships we have because, yeah, we might be in that type of world where you know a lot of people. You can say, hey, I have a thousand Facebook friends and people that I can say, yeah, I, I think that we would call one another a friend. But what God says marks true friendship are those that are, again, pointing one another towards Christ. We are sharpening one another. And so we saw that in the previous verses, but that's actually difficult to find. And so what that means is that as believers, 
we not only want to pursue this type of genuine friendship, right? The relationships in the church that are going to help us to know Christ better, but then we need to actually hold on to that because a true friend, at least as the scriptures would define, is not easy to come by. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. It's not every single day that you'll meet someone like that. And so when you do, hold on to that. And so we need to be thinking about the relationships we have, not only because we need to be exhorted, right? That's why we have the church. That's why God has given us his people. Not only because it's rare, but thirdly, because we will be influenced. Let's read Proverbs 13. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You will become like the people that you surround yourself with. Um, your companions will dictate in large degree the type of individual you will become. And so if you're uh, spending most of your time with people that maybe they do call themselves Christians, but you know, they're not really living for Christ or they're not the best examples of how to work hard or have the right types of priorities, that can actually be a dangerous thing, right? As we talked about, you can have Christians who are <coughs> fools, at least to some degree. And so as believers, we want to be thinking about the people that we're spending the most time around because they will influence us and we will influence them. Right? It's always a two-way street. It's not only that, hey, I'm strong enough to where I'm going to be the one that's going to forever change the people around me. That may be true to some degree if you're mature, but we are both influencing and being influenced by the people around us. And so in Proverbs, you see this kind of dual danger. There's the danger of isolation, where you just have no meaningful relationships at all, which as a man, as an introvert, I would say that can very much be a danger I have to be careful of. But there's also the danger of false intimacy, where you have all types of relationships and friendships, but uh, there's no substance behind those relationships. And so that's where we have to be careful. This is what God is warning us in Proverbs. So finally, here's the reflection question. How is the state of your relationships? And are you intentionally cultivating meaningful relationships in the church? Um, so not only do we need to have friends here in the church body, but we have to have meaningful friends as well, um, where we're able to say, hey, I know this handful of people that are going to make sure um, I, I, I'm walking with the Lord. Right? If I'm starting to kind of drift off, I know they're going to lovingly and, and gently rebuke me, remind me of what's true. When I need encouragement, I know they're going to speak the truth into my life, and I know I'm going to be able to do that for them as well. Do we have that here as a church community? Because uh, oftentimes with the business of life, that often falls through the cracks, does it not? So let me end with this. When you're looking at God's priorities in the book of Proverbs, right, this is just some of many other things, but these are the types of relationships that we see prioritized in the scripture. And what that means is this, where you work, how you spend your money, what activities your kids do are all secondary to these biblical priorities. Right, think about how you make your decisions, what things you're currently prioritizing in your schedule, right? What took first place, second place, third place, fourth place, all the way down to the very last place? And what were you actually prioritizing? 
What are you seeing as being most important and most critical and most valuable to how you make your decisions and what you actually do? And were they the things that scripture, that Proverbs emphasizes, or were they the things of the world that we so often focus on instead? Uh, I don't know where out, out of these subjects, God, spouse, children, a church, I don't know where those would fall in your own priorities, but the challenge of God is that those need to be at the top. Focus on those, on what God has called us to do, and then everything else will take care of itself. That might mean, yeah, you make a little bit less money. That might mean that, might mean that your kids won't be the MVP of whatever sport they play. Um, that might mean that you go on a little bit less or fewer vacations, right? That might mean a lot of changes to how we're orienting our life, but that will still mean that we're living the truly blessed life because we're doing what will truly bring life and beauty to our world and to our families, not just what's superficial and easy and fun. So uh, those are just some things to think about. Here's the last question. What is the actual priority order in your life? Not what you say, but what you live out. And from that, what needs to change? I, I think for every single one of us, myself included, we'll understand that there are things that are off priority. Maybe it's slightly, maybe it's drastically, but there are aspects of our life that we're not living according to God's desire. We all have ways to grow. And so the challenge for all of us is that we're willing to actually pursue that. Okay, uh, we have a couple more minutes left. I, I know that was really fast, but um, for time's sake, I just want to kind of hit all of those bases. Any other thoughts or questions you all have about the nature of wisdom, about our priorities as Christians? You know, when we try to live that out as a parent uh, through 30 years, um, I think it's easy to um, measure your performance based on the product that comes from your, your work. But the reality is, Christ told us to be faithful to him first. We may be hated. We may go in the workplace and they see the uh, aroma of Christ in you. They hate you. Uh, so the measure of a father or an employee or a child or any, a wife is how faithful are you to your calling from God? How loyal are we to him? And if we do that, we will be hated. Mm. And we'll also have some fruit that is lovely. Mm. But the reality is, I think, as I look back in my life, I have to say, was that me and how I approach things? Or was, was that God giving me a trial to be faithful? Mm. So we take up our cross, we follow him, and trust him with the outcome. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I think about a conversation I had with a friend who uh, spent years really pouring um, himself into this particular workplace, you know, many, many hours. Uh, years had gone by, he left it, eventually came back, and it was like no one, you know, paid that much attention to him, really remembered, you know, these big things that he had done, they were just kind of known as, as having been done. And then afterwards he said, yeah, I, I realized there that Anything, if it's not done for Christ, will burn, right? Like, if it wasn't for him, all of these accomplishments, all of these things, they're not lasting. Like, what does it really mean? Apart from knowing and loving the Lord and doing what we're called to do. And I think that's a lot of what you're alluding to. So, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, 
also, as I'm 65, so our kids are grown, but should you have a disappointment with one of your children, um, I've learned through my mother-in-law's wonderful example, you um, realize maybe if you made a wrong decision or whatever could have happened, but that you go on loving them and um, you ask God, how can I love this child? How can I work with their family? Um, and Christ will show you. There may not be a coming back like you would like, but you've grown mm. in how you love them. And yeah. it becomes an example to other people that are hurting. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's encouraging. We can ask the Lord for wisdom and he will grant it to us when we need it. That's why we have this whole book. So, um, Well, for time's sake, I think we'll go ahead and end it there. Um, I know that maybe this is a little more sobering lesson. I didn't mean to make the mood so heavy, but um, these are important things to be thinking about because God says it is. So I, I hope that you were encouraged, uh, challenged in some way. Uh, if there's other thoughts or questions, feel free to talk with me afterward. But as always, just want to mention some announcements we have. So... <clears throat> You probably know this, but if you go to the Church Center app, uh, you're able to see uh, all the announcements on the homepage, but just want to read a couple here. As Pastor Jeremiah mentioned, we have the next round of classes coming up next week. I'll actually give a little bit of a description at the end of uh, next week, but uh, look at it, consider which one you want to join next. If you have any kids in the high school ministry, uh, there is going to be the Ignite Conference happening on February 23rd. I was about to say next month, but it's actually this month. So if you have kids in high school, uh, please consider that. And uh, wow, that's actually it. So yeah, I, I guess we have a little more time than I thought. But thank you guys all so much for uh, your participation, what you had to share. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. And uh, if there's anything else, we'll talk after, okay? All right, thank you so much.